Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode two of the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. On this podcast, we talk with prominent healthcare thought leaders about key themes and topics in healthcare IT, both current and emerging. I'm your host, Matthew Albright. My day job is Chief Legislative Affairs Officer for Zealous Payments. Zealous, Z-E-L-I-S, is a healthcare and financial technology company located in beautiful Bedminster, New Jersey. I also serve as the Communication Committee Chair for Weedy. That's W-E-D-I, Weedy. And Weedy is the producer of this podcast. Weedy is personified with this program's producer. In our virtual studio, standing at a socially safe 150 miles away, is Michael McNutt, who is also the genius who thought of this Weedy podcast in the first place. Michael, say hello. <laughs> Thank you very much there, uh, Matthew. <laughs> Can't take all the credit, but I'll take it for right now. All right, good, good. Weedy is a national membership organization where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and create solutions for better health care system. In this way, Weedy has always had a close relationship with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, with HHS's Office for Civil Rights with their emphasis on privacy and security, and most recently with the Office of the National Coordinator for Health Information Technology, lovingly referred to as the ONC. And that is why we are especially excited about our guest today on the collective voice of health IT, Steve Posnack, Deputy National Coordinator at ONC. And speak, Steve is the DNC for HIT at HHS ONC. And I'm going to get him a T-shirt that says just that. In his role, Stephen leads the actual execution of ONC's mission and oversees ONC's coordination with other federal agencies, as well as ONC's regulatory policy, public-private initiatives, and ONC's overall implementation of the laws on health IT that Congress passes. Thank you, Steve, for joining us at the Collective Voice of Health IT. Hey, Matthew, thank you. Uh, I really I picture that as the kind of opening crawl in a Star Wars movie, if you can, if you can have your, uh, your listeners picture that. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you, and uh, thanks very much uh, to Weedy for having me. Good, great. And I wish with that crawl we had the music, right? We should have swelling uh, strings bah, that bah, uh, kind of pronounce it. No, that's the evil empire music. I don't know if we want that, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if you remember, Steve, but uh, back in those heady days after the Affordable Care Act came out, uh, when HHS, they were rolling out regulations, breakneck speed, I was at the CMS Office of eHealth Standards and Services, OESS, it was a kind of sister office to your office. Uh, we were putting out the CMS's part of those meaningful use regulation. I was mostly on the administrative transactions part of that office, but I do seem to remember following you once or twice speaking at HIMSS. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and that's, a, that's a throwback to uh, many of the different organizational components that are uh, part of you know, my colleagues at CMS. Uh, they do a good job at, at recreating themselves, uh, you know, as, as their mission changes. Um, OESS, you know, as we uh, described it. Um, I'm glad you said ONC at the beginning of the intro, because uh, depending on uh, how long people have been separated from uh, the work that we do, sometimes we're referred to as ONC, uh, but that is a uh, less preferred pronunciation for the office. 
I remember Ankh. I remember it was like <laughs> choking when you tried to say uncle, right? So um, listen, let's start a little bit uh, by telling us a little bit more about yourself. And I think I speak for our listeners when I say <laughs> that I really want to know about your journey starting off as an intern at eBay, and then you worked at NASA for a bit. Uh, I love that. That's a colorful launch to a career, I think. Hey, yeah, yeah, and and I'll I'll try to keep it brief. My wife always gives me a hard time for uh, you know giving too many details as part of my my stories here. So the long story short was um, uh, definitely learned early on that I wanted to get into computer science, and that's what I did undergrad. Um, and as part of my 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 school's work, I should give a shout out to anybody that's familiar with uh, WPI Worcester Polytechnic Institute. Um, went there for undergrad and, and they had a program where you did, you know, kind of an internship program, uh, at, at, as you got up into your, um, junior and senior years. So I had an opportunity to, to work with eBay and we had an alumni there at, at that time. And that really is what got me in, interested in information security. Um, and I kind of parlayed that if you recall, uh, in the early two thousands, we had, um, you know, a, a internet bubble burst. Uh, for someone that was a budding software engineer, uh, this is probably like the worst possible time to get employment. And I did what any uh, self-respecting uh, person does is uh, you defer adulthood. So I went to grad school um, and I happened to be able to get into <laughs> an early program at Johns Hopkins. They were starting an information security institute. And uh, you know, during that time, I got more and more interested in um, disaster preparedness, um, you know, kind of business resiliency, business continuity, uh, information security kind of policy related. And, and again, kind of a confluence of, of I never predicted or, or expected to wind up in healthcare. Uh, that was kind of foreign to me. But just during that time was when the HIPAA security rule came out, HIPAA privacy rule. So like is an interesting time in the early stages of, uh, say, electronic, electronic health information and our approach to that. Um, and, and started to get more interested and certainly in the environment that I was in in Baltimore, which you're well familiar with, and at Hopkins, um, started to get more and more interested in healthcare. And then just out of a kind of serendipity, uh, my office was formed, you know, by a President uh, W. Bush, as I like to say, executive order in 2004. And um, that was when I was finishing up my master's work. And, and I got some, you know, connections, interviews, and uh, the long story short is I got hired in July 2005, and I have uh, uh, just stuck at it. I love it. I love it. It's a, it's a great story. And I love the idea that, you know, uh, you know, just thinking about life stories in general, how given a financial crisis, the collapse there of the, of the Internet bubbles, uh, your, your, your career kind of took a left uh, and stayed in the basic uh, same, same general area but went into a whole different area. And you emerge – it really, I think, like three decades, starting with 1996's HIPAA, of just uh, uh, just incredible and very interesting times in in healthcare policy, for for better or for worse, I guess, but uh, certainly uh, an interesting three decades. So, so now you're with ONC, Onc, uh, Office of the National Coordinator, Coordinator uh, for Fel Health and Information Technology, um, but I think. Some of our listeners may only know your office uh, as the author of the meaningful use regs, uh, maybe of the interoperability rules, uh, maybe that you uh, ONC manages the health IT certification program. But speaking more broadly, what do you see as as ONC's role? Uh, what's that term coordinator really mean? And, and maybe talk to us a little bit about, say, ONC's role compared to, say, CMSs. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I think, you know, you kind of rightfully point out, um, we are not a uh, dinner or breakfast cable uh, type agency name. Um, certainly not nowadays, like the CDC is, uh, who are, you know, part of HHS and one of our, our bigger brother or sister agencies, depending on how you want to frame it. Um, you know, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, just to do the acronym check on, on CMS, is uh, also not that any weedy member who would, you know, wouldn't know who CMS is. Um, but, uh, you know, they uh, have a large, expansive, um, you know, mission, uh, many centers, right, that do different things, um, Center for Program Integrity, Clinical Quality and Standards, you know, they run all the kind of payment programs, uh, CMMI, which is the newer center around innovation models uh, and the like. Uh, and so all of those are, um, you know, bigger money than, CM, uh, than, than ONC has, um, but also uh, around the Medicare or Medicaid programs in general, right? The CMCS does, does on the Medicaid side. And so um, everything that CMS works on has that as part of their mission interest. What are they doing to improve, um, you know, the healthcare, the delivery, the experience that Medicare beneficiaries have, that Medicaid beneficiaries have? And I, and I know, you know, my colleagues over there really take that to heart and that really helps drive a lot of the work that they do. Um, on the ONC side, we are uh, acutely focused on, I would say, a lot of the convergence issues that occur between people, processes, technology, policy, and how all of them in different ratios need to fit together uh, in order to make improvements in the way in which we engage in healthcare overall. So if it's a matter of reducing uh, clinical burden, if it's a matter of looking for opportunities for automation um, and improving the just overall experience in, in healthcare, again, that could be for providers, that could be for us as patients. Uh, I experience, um, you know, the healthcare system largely today, and, you know, I'll probably use this, um, uh, you know, more often as we keep talking, uh, as, a, as a dad of two uh, young kids, I have a seven and almost 10 year old. And a lot of my experience in healthcare right now is, is in the pediatric side of things, because uh, I am, you know, knock on wood, rel relatively healthy. So, there are lots of frustrations that I have as a parent that I then bring to work. <laughs> and, um, you know, I kind of jokingly say, I like walk the halls and I shake my fist and I say like, these are solvable problems. Um, but you know, they equally include, um, a, a mix of technology, uh, a little bit, a dollop of policy, you know, here and there. And while we do have a regulatory, uh, you know, a dynamic to our work at ONC, as you mentioned, Matthew, um, you know, we do regulate from the EHR certification perspective. There's a lot that we do from a kind of convening, prototyping, other types of investments that we make in the community at large to help advance the kind of overall ecosystem as a whole. Good. I, I think it's very interesting. And I, I think that's why ONC has a very unique place, right? Because you get a, 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 a agency like CMS. And like you said, they've, they've got one mission. And that mission really hasn't changed um, since they were uh, since they began, even as they get more regulations and, and Medicare and Medicaid may be affected. But um, what you're talking about is, is uh, a very flexible organization that really changes with the challenges of the day. Um, one of the one of the things you you're uh, certainly known for on the headlines and maybe at a few dinner tables is the interoperability rule. You probably do this for every presentation, but can you give us the the elevator speech of what the interoperability rule is all about. And then I'd like to go on to some of the other programs that uh, ONC is running. Yeah, absolutely. So um, as part of the 21st Century Cures Act, which was passed uh, right at the end of the Obama administration in, in 2016, 
that was the most substantial change to ONC's authority as a federal agency, right? Like that, that is what drives us. Congress um, gives us new authorities and new responsibilities. So we had the High Tech Act in uh, 2009. And uh, then, you know, fast forward to 2016, where the 21st Century Cures Act was passed. That included, uh, I like to call, you know, kind of a, a one-two combination of uh, new fundamental changes to our certification program uh, that in required us to adopt what are called conditions of certification, and they apply to health IT developers that go through our certification program processes. And then it also included, which is kind of the, the, the phrase du jour, uh, requirements around information blocking. And information blocking applies to three categories of, of stakeholders in the healthcare system. Uh, the first being developers of certified health IT. So if someone, uh, a company presents its product for certification through our program, they would be covered by the information blocking provisions of the statute. Uh, then you have what are called health information exchanges or health information networks. Uh, so largely intermediaries that help facilitate you know, data exchange. And then the third category is healthcare providers. And so all three of those kind of categorical stakeholders are named in the statute. We've gone through the subsequent kind of regulatory related requirements. And the bottom line being that uh, the, the 21st Century Cures Act said information blocking is, is a bad thing, uh, to say very colloquially, uh, and that we are going to prohibit information blocking related activities. Uh, and that um, the access, exchange, and use of electronic health information can not be restricted any longer by these categories of actors unless there is a particular reason why uh, information can't be exchanged. And, and that was what Congress effectively charged us to come up with, uh, the unlesses, uh, for lack of better English, uh, which we in, in proper English call exceptions. And so <laughs> we had to um, go through the regulatory process to describe uh, exceptions to the information blocking provision uh, in the law um, and to carve out situations where, um, let's say your system goes down, right? You have a downtime event or a natural disaster or something like that. This is a simple, you know, easy one to pick. Um, there's an exception that we created that says, you know, if Matthew, you asked me for data when I've had this downtime event, you know, the electricity got cut to my hospital and I didn't respond, you know, you could point the finger at me and say, well, Steve didn't exchange information with me, so he's an information blocker. And, you know, that would be kind of contrary to the overall implementation and execution of a kind of functional uh, system overall. So right. we adopted this exception to say, you know, that's an OK reason to not ex exchange information and you won't be labeled, you know, a quote unquote information blocker in that case. Right. Right. I think what's interesting about that whole uh, construct, which I wasn't aware of, actually, was that the uh, information blocking is is already uh, pro, uh, uh, disallowed right in the statute. And you all are in charge of, of developing the exceptions to it. I think that's that's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Steve Posnack, Deputy National Coordinator at ONC, uh, about some of the challenges hospitals and providers are dealing with now during this pandemic and how those relate to OMNC's role and in inoperability in general. For now, let's take a quick break and hear about more about Weedy from our producer, Michael McNutt. The preeminent National Membership Association for Health IT Guidance and Collaboration, Weedy has earned the title of being an instrumental force in engaging public and private partnerships, facilitating discussions, and providing a collaborative voice as a national healthcare advisor to provide meaningful changes for the American healthcare system. Become a member and provide national leadership that enhances the exchange of clinical and administrative healthcare information. 
Join one of our various work groups where Weedy members collect input, exchange ideas, and make recommendations that inspire impactful and far-reaching change in our industry. Learn more about how you can make a difference at Weedy.org. Welcome back to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. And we're talking with Steve Posnack, Deputy National Coordinator of the ONC. Um, I think, Steve, when we hear ONC, and, and you kind of alluded to this too, we think interoperability, we think meaningful use, we think about the regulations. But like you mentioned, ONC has a bunch of other smaller uh, programs and projects going on. And, and one program that struck me it sounded very exciting. It's something called the ONC Tech Lab. And as I understand it, it's been around for a few years as a place where people can talk about their health IT ideas. Uh, but now it's being used as a kind of clearinghouse, maybe, or proving ground for anyone working on IT solutions related to fighting COVID-19. So maybe you could tell us a little bit more about this and, and if there's any interesting ideas coming out of that tech lab in, in the midst of this pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm glad uh, you know you asked about the tech lab because I, I don't always um, you know highlight the, the the nature of the work there. So um, this this has a, an interesting mix of um, how you uh, approach organizational coordination and then uh, internally and then expose that to you know the stakeholders at, at large. So when we were starting um, you know a few years ago to look at our technology portfolio overall, we um, you know, we have an internal, you know, set of hierarchical structures for our team and management and the like. But a lot of the work, as you might imagine, um, has uh, interdisciplinary um, components to it. There are people that are on, you know, Division A and Division B that work together on, you know, a particular uh, project. And, and it became kind of clear to, to me and to us that um, we needed a unifying way to approach our work that was about the work we do, not who we work for in particular. And that's really what the tech lab embodied for us from like an internal perspective and what we wanted to um, kind of portray to uh, everyone, you know, at large outside of ONC and, and represent our way in a kind of coherent uh, grouping of certain activities. So whether it be uh, standards related investments, um, innovation and piloting activities, the testing and utility development uh, activities that we work on, those are some of the categories in the tech lab that we wanted to frame overall. Uh, the one that you started to allude to is uh, what's called the interoperability proving ground, which uh, we stood up as a kind of lightweight platform for stakeholders to communicate and share with the, the nation at large or globally uh, interoperability projects that they were working on. And um, we had an opportunity, you know, earlier this spring, as we started to see a lot of different projects come up, you know, in response to COVID-19 to say, you know, if you're working on something that you want to make sure um, you know, other groups could join in or that you're not duplicating efforts. The IPG, as we refer to it in acronym speak, uh, is there for you to use. And I think we've gotten, you know, over 100 project submissions now at this point. So uh, That's very exciting. I love that idea of, of again, I think kind of a unique uh, space that ONC has created of breaking through the hierarchy and, and not talking about who you work for, right? Uh, but talking in terms of the exciting kind of technological thinking and breakthroughs uh, that, are, that are going on despite wherever your department is. Uh, that's, that's a great concept. Now, um, you know, more broadly with uh, COVID-19, how do you think the pandemic 
has um, magnified the need for and maybe the solutions promised by interoperability. You know, what, what kind of situations and challenges are we facing now um, that could have been maybe mitigated or, or could be in the future mitigated by interoperability? Yeah, and, and um, you know, this one has uh, a lot of layers or you can unpack it, you know, in a few different ways. So there is the um, kind of here and now, you know, acute uh, response activities that, you know, thank you to the healthcare providers out there, uh, health professionals out there that are, that are doing this every day. Uh, and they have data needs, right? And, and so um, there are uh, opportunities to, you know, that we have seen to improve um, just the clinical use and availability of data uh, in the hands, you know, the right time, uh, you know, when and where it's needed kind of, you know, concept as a whole. Uh, there is uh, telehealth, right, for um, continued healthcare for our population in general, um, outside of those, you know, in the immediate response to, to the pandemic. Um, that is, you know, something that is a new experience for a lot of people and health professionals. And if, um, you know, you're getting telehealth services through a variety of different means, that, that data isn't always there that you would normally have with your primary care provider. So that, that is another opportunity uh, where I think, you know, we're starting to get the creative, you know, wheel spinning about how, uh, given all the trajectory that we see with telehealth and, you know, as people are saying in kind of the cliche way that, that the genie is kind of out of the bottle, um, you know, how is our future going to look and what is telehealth uh, oriented providers and the provision of care via telehealth going to need from a data exchange perspective? And the, the last area, which, you know, I think you, you noted as well is um, there's there's a bit related to public health reporting uh, and the importance of um, making sure that public health authorities and public health response is part of the overall you know, interoperability picture and uh, the dynamic of how health information exchanges, which we've made you know, lots of investments in and states have as well over the, the better part of the past decade. Uh, in certain areas, they are really uh, a true resource for their communities. They have those local connections. Uh, they're able to, at times, to um, add and enrich, supplement data that public health may have gaps in. You know, specifically, uh, we've heard a lot about race and ethnicity. Uh, the HIEs are there to help. Uh, they have stepped up to help from you know supply chain related questions. And you know, as we look at the pandemic response overall, uh, reporting gives us lots of information about trends and kind of where we're going or where we've been in the past you know couple of weeks and and kind of prospectively uh, about um, how we might be you know trending. The uh, health information exchanges provide a, a unique opportunity and are unique, uniquely situated to answer longitudinal questions and clinical observations over time. So if you uh, fast forward when we have vaccines and we have um, you know, the, the uh, people that have um, been infected by COVID and how they are responding over time, we're starting to see, I think I saw on Twitter, like a hashtag of long COVID or something like that where people have symptoms for a, for, for a much longer period of time or other health effects, how we track that over time and better understand the overall population impact of the virus is, uh, is something that these health information exchanges are well positioned to help their communities do. Yeah. 
Good, good. Um, so I, I think it's interesting with the telehealth. There's a McKinsey article that says, you know, after this pandemic's over, they're they're estimating that 20% of our healthcare will still remain uh, to be telehealth. And what you're talking about is, you know, uh, doctors that are on the other side of that uh, that Zoom meeting need to have all your information right at their fingertips, right? Where in an office, you know, they might know you're coming two days ahead of time. They pull the file from the wall. They look through it, right? Uh, here's the kind of thing where um, uh, in order to uh, really make that 20% work, uh, you've got to have everything right there at their fingertips. I want to touch on uh, another consequence of the pandemic. That's the, the crippling uh, financial loss to many hospitals and providers. Uh, I think that HHS and your office certainly saw that the hospitals were dealing with both treating patients with COVID-19, but also dealing with the financial impacts. So there's now an enforcement discretion uh, on the various requirements of the interoperability rule. But but going forward, what do you think the impact of the provider's financial issues will be uh, to maybe not uh, implementation of the regulations themselves, but to the ideal or the goal of interoperability? Does, does this financial uh, crisis, especially for providers, slow or speed it up? Uh, or does it change in nature because of that crisis? Yeah, I mean, I think if I'm uh, uh, more oriented to being an optimist in general, uh, I, I would like to think that it will, um, you know, once we're able to stabilize in terms of the response, um, it will help speed up the demand and, um, you know, the expectation. Uh, there are lots of experiences that we have today, uh, whether it be e-commerce or, um, you know, uh, ride sharing or other types of, 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 let's call them 21st century experiences that we don't get all the time in healthcare. And, you know, telehealth is one of those novel, you know, I hate to say it's novel, but like it, it is one of those experiences that will be new to a lot of people. And it may become uh, the norm as, you know, the, the report that you cited, because it offers a, a level of convenience that we don't always get in healthcare. Um, and so as, as we look forward in order to offer those, that better customer service, that better convenience that we may be used to in other industries. Um, that is where data and interoperability is going to be more important. Um, the financial constraints uh, and concerns, you know, that healthcare organizations have today is, is, is real, uh, in part because uh, we want there to be a competitive marketplace and we want there to be, you know, price transparency and other uh, uh, opportunities for consumers to shop for their care. And, uh, you know, if you try to piece all of those together, uh, you need functioning interoperability, you need a competitive market, you need options for people to go to, uh, you need, you know, payers to be able to understand the quality of the care that uh, is being delivered. And so you have to, you know, look at this one in a kind of 360 degree way to, to um, uh, really get a full assessment. And if any one of those pieces um, you know, is in is in a little bit of trouble, then we we do need to be you know concerned about the overall impact and pace at which we can move. Good, good. And actually, you've kind of touched on my next question. I was thinking, you know, staying away or breaking away from your work at ONC for a moment, um, and just talking as someone who has lived and breathed healthcare policy for nearly two decades. Any any thoughts, closing thoughts you might have on the healthcare system at large uh, as we're going through this pandemic? Yeah, and, and this is where um, you know I could bring back my uh, you know parent of two uh, type of uh, experience as well. So you know there are a few things to, to touch on um, just in terms of go forward. Right, there is still 21st Century Cures Act implementation, uh, and and implementing the rule as as we noted earlier in our conversation. Uh, while the rule came out, 
there are compliance timelines, et cetera, that could go forward into the future. Uh, there's our work around the trusted exchange framework and common agreement, which is another portion of the 21st Century Cures Act. Uh, there is uh, an infinite amount of standards work when it comes to you know, medicine as a whole and, and continuing to invest in those activities. Uh, something you know, near and dear to, to Weedy members' hearts is the convergence and, and merging of, of clinical and administrative data and, and how to do that. Uh, there's the, the convenience aspect that I talked about in terms of provider burden. So I, I look at convenience in, in two ways. I want the docs that I go to uh, to be you know, super docs. And in order for them to be uh, as, as best as they can, uh, they need to have you know data at their fingertips. It needs to be easy for them to use uh, the the software that is, uh, and and they they need to perform you know at a higher level based on the tools that we can we can augment you know their performance intelligence that we can give them you know through the the data exchange overall. And then for us as patients, um, you know part of the rulemaking that we went through was to enable uh, all of us to get our data on our smartphones. And so you know the advent of of application programming interfaces, the standardized API. Uh, that we included in our regulation is really meant to uh, push the industry forward toward enabling these consumer-facing services as well. And so that's a lot to look forward to, uh, even amidst you know all of the, the kind of general stress that we're all under today. Um, but I'm I'm pretty optimistic that um, you know we'll come out of this with with some more acceleration toward uh, you know greater improvements. Good, Steve. Uh, we like your we like your optimism. Appreciate it. You've touched on two two uh, subjects that are dear to my heart, uh, certainly the convergence of clinical and administrative data. Uh, interesting uh, issue, and, and it's, in, it's in the future. We just got to figure out a way to get there. Uh, and certainly consumer-driven healthcare, which you've touched on a few times uh, in our talk, and hopefully we can have you back to uh, talk more about those issues and maybe some of the private and security uh, issues with the uh, apps that you're talking about. Um, but before we go, I'd like to give you a minute uh, to talk, talk uh, any kind of logistics you'd like to pass on, uh, maybe about the enforcement discretion with the interoperability rule. Uh, I also hear that um, there's a rule maybe coming out about enforcement, civil money penalties. So I'll, I'll leave it to you to have any uh, final words. Sure, sure. Final words, final words. Um, so we did, uh, from the ONC regulatory side, uh, issue a notice that we were uh, extending the compliance dates vis-a-vis -vis, uh, enforcement discretion for three months from the, the specific dates. And those relate to um, dates that are associated with our uh, conditions of certification. When it comes to uh, information blocking related provisions, that is, as uh, you're kind of leading in, uh, enforced uh, and, and being regulated by the Office of the Inspector General at HHS. And so they had put out a proposed rule uh, addressing their civil monetary penalties. And those, just for uh, listeners' clarification, um, the, the 21st Century Cures Act included up to $1 million per violation penalties for um, information blocking uh, related violations. But those only apply to health IT developers of certified health IT and health information networks and health information exchanges. For healthcare providers, there's a slightly different paradigm uh, where the department is charged to establish appropriate disincentives, and that's still a, a work in progress. Um, so uh, that's a, a bit of a recap in terms of where we are, you know, as of the as of the recording, as of our chat, and um, just a, a couple of public service announcements for everybody. Uh, obviously, healthit.gov is a place to go if you want to find out more information about ONC. Uh, you can sign up for our listserv. Um, please uh, feel free to engage in our advisory committee, which is the Health IT Advisory Committee. 
they have virtual meetings as well. And um, certainly participate in Weedy and other standards development organizations as your uh, time permits. Thank you, Steve. Uh, th this has been a great discussion uh, with Steve Posnack, Deputy National Coordinator at ONC. Uh, Steve, you've been a great partner to Weedy. One of Weedy's primary functions is to keep health plans and hospitals and, and other providers educated on health IT. And you provided content and been a part of that education for many years. So uh, I look forward to having you join us again, Steve. This has been the collective voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast, where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Find this episode and many more on our website, Weedy.org. Thank you all for joining us and be safe.